All righty. We're just going to get everybody on. We're just waiting for Mario, and then we'll start the spaces. Just getting all the speakers on. I see some of the speakers are already up. Um, I see Mario. Which be, I think Mario is actually joining us today. Scott, I don't know if are you actually with us. Yeah, I'm or here. You, are you yeah. half with us? I'm here, uh, and I'm just uh, very excited to hear the mythical voice of Mario Knopfel that is so long, so long. Yeah, yeah, we've been missing him, but now it seems we got to get him up on stage. <laughs> He's become a war reporter, a war correspondent. Uh, unbelievable! I don't think the guy has slept in two in a week and a half, two weeks. I see him down there as a speaker. His coverage, his coverage, his coverage has been amazing. His coverage has been absolutely amazing. Harry, I think he's here. Are you actually with us today? <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. It's good to be back to, this is like normal life for me. When we talk about misinformation or, or, or some, some wrong story by coin. Did you know what happened yesterday, Shiran? I'm not sure if Scott told you. Were you. On, yeah, on stage. That was insane. I shared that today. Go ahead. <laughs> I was, I was, I'm just innocently going to an event that Gaurav told me to speak in. So I'm like, sure, man, I wake up, I go there on the way, looking in our group and I find out that, hey, the ETF got approved. I'm like, holy shit, Bitcoin's pumping. And then you guys start going like, hold on, no, no, it's not, it's not confirmed. Uh, I think that it's a, it's a wrong story. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, more drama and crypto. And I just kind of put my phone away. I go on stage and the senior editor of Cointelegraph is meant to interview me. And it didn't click that they're the ones that got the wrong story. Remember, I just woke up, dressed up, and, and went to the event. <laughs> and then she's meant to interview me, but then she starts with a long monologue, apology. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> now I know what's going on. And then I just someone looked filmed at your face. I just, I just looked at your face, and you just straightforward. You showed zero fucking emotion. There was zero emotion. Well, yeah, especially, especially when she decided that uh, her approach was going to be, yeah, we, this was bad that we shared this bad news, but it's not really our fault. It's because we have to be first and not vet our information. And also, it's society's fault for forcing us to be that way. And then basically said, anyone who believed it should have done their own research. Taking that long-awaited yeah, she actually hold on. She, she actually she actually said that because I tuned out when she's giving her long apology uh, speech. Just, I mean, just and she quoted Ricky Bobby saying, "If you're not first, you're last." From Talladega Nights, which really uh, that one that one made me almost cry. I don't know if she did that intentionally or not, but I mean, it. I, I don't think you could have a more sort of like colorblind and inappropriate response to what happened, which should have just been, "We made a big mistake. We're figuring it out. It won't happen again." Not uh, it's society's fault for believing fake news. What, what makes it more ironic is that she's meant to, and she's a great person. Like I don't know her personally, but I know she's friends with Gorov, and that's how I know her. She's like a nice person, but she's, she's meant to interview me about journalism. <laughs> so like the, the timing couldn't be worse. My luck couldn't be worse. And then she starts talking to me about journalism and the integrity in journalism and how you have to always be first and verify. And then she's like, she's kind of giving me a, you know, kind of critical feedback about covering the war i'm like i didn't say it but I'm like man you cannot give me critical feedback today from all days yeah, but that was yeah, it I, and she i mean what was crazy is when you dug into coin telegraph's response finally where they printed a you know basically a retraction apology on what had happened i mean it was insane to see how they gather and vet news it was literally like it said there's a telegram group that are that are, I'm just laughing. I'm sorry. There's a telegram group that our writers like to look at for potential news scoops. We saw a screenshot in there and our reporter just ran with it. So like literally like a telegram group, they don't even control of anonymous people posting whatever they want was vetted enough news apparently for them. But they never something. landed up writing an article that they, 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 they prodded the oh, fact themselves. To their credit, they right? They never landed up. Yeah, the article is completely irrelevant if you tweet it, right? And and if anybody needs uh, evidence of that, a $2,000 up and down move in 30 minutes of Bitcoin should show you. I mean, that does. It's worth discussing okay, I wonder, how much of a thirst there is for it, but still. I want to I wanna ask you a question. Just give me a simple yes or no. Was it market manipulation? And was someone, did someone um, actually get rich on this yes or no? Just d don't give me the explanation. Yes. Just give Yes. No. Yes. 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 I mean, there no. are charts. No. There are charts. No. There no. are charts that show a lot of leverage buying on Bybit on Deribit uh, before the event. Uh, there, it, there was a massive spot fire before the event. So you think this was market, you, know, you don't think this is maybe market manipulation? I'm, I'm keen no, to hear but, from the but, rest but of the speakers. Crypto, yeah, but crypto was pumping before the news, wasn't it, Ryan? 
Yeah, but the point was. is that could be a front run. Yeah, Bitcoin was up four percent. Yeah, it's front running the, news, the right? front running the fake the news. But yeah. Ross, the question is, I, 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 I'm inclined to agree with you, but the way that this happened, unless Coin Telegraph is outright lying, which is possible, I mean, just posting it simply in a Telegram group doesn't like. If that's the extent of the way someone was attempting to manipulate this market, they couldn't have known that Coin Telegraph was going to pick that up uh, and actually kind of run with it. Unless, so, they, to, unless they orchestrated it, unless they orchestrated it, unless Coin. Right, I mean, I'm course, not. But like, I'm well, not, why would you do that? I just don't I mean, understand. Is, is Coin Telegraph? Outside of that, is, is Coin Telegraph some sort of like reputable source? You know, it's. It's relatively reputable for crypto, which yeah, but like bad. when you say for crypto, that immediately you know diminishes. I did say yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, I'll just I don't know. It's it's people. like you see it in the stock market all the time. It's a t- pump and dump 101, so, you know, rookie pump and dump. Somebody made money. Also, people are making up shit and posting it in tele- crypto telegram groups all the time. I think to Scott's point, ha- like, it's much more likely someone just made this up and stuck it in a dumb group having no idea that, like, someone from Cointelegraph is going to pick it up. Well, I thought the I thought the tweet of the day went to David Weisberger, where he said, "I thought the futures ETF was supposed to protect from market manipulation, which is what the SEC's been saying." But of course, that was just as manipulated as the spot market. So it kind of goes to show that the whole futures ETF prevents market manipulation kind of just fell flat on its face with what happened right there. Yeah, we had the futures. The futures went much worse than the spot. But just for the record. The spot price pumped to thirty thousand exactly. The futures price went, depending on which futures you looked at, but it went up to about thirty thousand eight hundred. So, if you think that the futures price um, uh, uh, protected people, not at all. I also think Bitcoin is trading pretty thin right now, so it probably doesn't take too much movement to get Bitcoin really moving. You know, nothing. Yeah, I mean, very, to, very thin. That's nothing. definitely a key. That's definitely a key takeaway from this. Is like when this thing gets moving, you kind of got a little taste of how thin the market can get. Yeah. I mean, we're like looking, we're looking for custodians the... right now. Like how many custodians in the United States of any size really exist anymore? You know? Well, Prime Trust was a fraud. Fortress uh, lost 15 million bucks. They're doing a deal with Ripple that got rejected. So there's pretty much BitGo. <laughs> Uh, but I think that the world is moving. Obviously, the crypto world is, for better or for worse, moving towards uh, legacy custodians, right? I think that the uh, one of the major stories of the next cycle will be Bank of New York Mellon and uh, yeah, and State Street, right? Being custodians, trusted quote unquote custodians. Uh, on, honestly, because, uh, fidelity, honestly, fidelity, fidelity will custody your fidelity will do your BTC and ETH right now. Yeah, fidelity is yeah, doing a lot of stuff. Like we just talked to them last week, and they're like, if you move. 100 million of like regular assets will let you do whatever you want with Bitcoin and open wallets again and all this kind of stuff. So we're working on something with Fidelity, but Fidelity is making moves in a big way. And Fidelity has been here, by the way, since 2014 or Guys, we do have guys before before we move on, we do have uh, Mr. 2%. Uh, I actually want to dig into the Cointelegraph story a bit further. Now I've uh, and before we get into the, why the markets is bumping and 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 the order books, I want to talk about the story that that cut out uh, yesterday regarding the approval of the ETF. Now I, you know, from experience and two percent, I know you've worked at Coin Telegraph, so I'd love to get your take on it. I give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm surprised Coin Telegraph made the mistake. We made this mistake in the early days of out of nowhere, suddenly we're covering news. So we look at all these different sources when we did the mutiny, when we're doing the war, including many telegram groups. The good thing about these telegram groups is there's people on the ground. They're generally so early, but the problem is a lot of the shit on there is false. So we never post anything before we verify with one of the reputable sources that we have. But we mention things like, for example, on a space, we say there's un- unconfirmed reports of this um, and we say that from Telegram groups, we know are trustworthy, but we know there's a likelihood that they're go- not going to be true. We say unconfirmed. Now, for Coin Telegraph, they say they saw something in a Telegram group and posted it. That's something we don't do, and we don't. We don't even. You know, I don't like to call what we do journalism because you know it's not what I what I'm what I like what I what I, you know what I plan to do. But two percent, you know, there was a discussion earlier on whether that was planned, that was intentional, whether anyone made money. I want to get your thoughts. Uh, yeah, Mario. So I, I don't want to correct you, but I, I've never worked for Cointelegraph. I've worked uh, like with them as far as like doing business through different companies. So for 
I'm on the I'm in the camp that Coin Telegraph that this wasn't market manipulation as more so this was just incompetence or just stuff dropping uh, their coworkers dropping the ball. Um, I believe that Coin Telegraph is going. This is going to be one of first of many mistakes that you're going to see from Coin Telegraph. They're going to make more mistakes, not just with um, posting bad articles, but you're going to see more and more complaints come from this company, mm. Mario. But I don't. Yeah, think, I, I, just I don't take I, huge I, issue. Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say I don't take huge issue with them reporting something false. I think that's inevitable when you're a news source, especially. Not something. Uh, in, no, 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 no. It's not something that's major. It's the way they justified it, and then honestly, it's the comments with the lady sitting right next to you on stage that blew my mind. The response bothers me more than the actual reporting. Yeah, I think that this is too major because, to say that like the impact is too big on the market. And now, Ryan, I think you talked about it in your show that this could then be used by Gensler to show how easy it is to manipulate the market. Yeah, but I mean, it's easy to manipulate any market if you think about it. If you if you got a big enough news outlet that's willing to publish or or publish fake news by mistake, then it, it's going to happen. And no amount of SEC protection is going to in an international market. No amount of SEC protection is going to help us. When it comes to something like that, so GameStop, I mean, like, cough, cough. GameStop. Yeah. What is the other one? Bed Bath and Beyond as well. BBC. AMC, GameStop. I mean, we saw quite. I mean, listen, Hertz went bankrupt and then went up like five x. Yeah. So, so I think no, no amount. But, but, but look again. I don't want to be spreading, you know, rumors, and I don't want to be. But, but to me, it just feels. It feels too. It just feels too simple to have messed up that. These are, this is not a new. This is not a new news organization. They've been around for a long time. They know exactly what they're doing. You know, this is not like saying a, a new publication that was born yesterday. By now, I'd imagine they've got enough systems and processes to deal with fake news. And just, to me, it doesn't. Their exp, the explanation doesn't suit what what they're saying. To be honest, you know. And again, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to, to, to. I'm not trying to. I'm just saying. I'm looking at the uh, the differences. The the the. Um, the um, it's just too basic for me. That, that's it. So Ram, yeah, we become take, we become so paranoid in crypto. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was Go just ahead, saying. Alex. I'll take the other side of that because, like, I think actually this was more likely to happen around this story because there's so much hype, um, and it's been such a long drawn out process on it. Everyone is going to wants to be first on the official news. So I think if anything, people are more likely to bypass their normal journalistic process and procedures and safeguards because they know that if they get it out first, it's their tweet and things that's getting re-put around the internet announcing it. A, qu a question, uh, William, I'd love you to jump in, but also I'm curious, and remember, I've, I've been tuned out for a week. What's behind the current rally? So maybe, William, you can jump in, comment on what we, the, the Cointelegraph uh, mishappened um, and the rally that we're seeing in the last couple of days. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure yet what's behind it, but I know that the volumes are up slightly. Uh, I would agree with Rand that I have not heard anything from Cointelegraph that would give me confidence that this will not happen again. Uh, I mean, th this really shows how amateurish um, we could be or this organization could be um, and how fickle we are about this. And typically when uh, a big news happens, uh, all of the major uh, news places copy each other and you, you see the same story replicated. And we didn't see that. Um, so it is unfortunate. Uh, we were a little bit too anxious. Yes, I we think. did. We, we did see that. We did we see did. that. This mm. went, yes, this was went from Coin Telegraph to Reuters and Benzinga, and then being reported by Reuters and Benzinga landed wow. on the Bloomberg terminal. I so, missed yes, that. So that was repeated. and 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 to, and by the way, part of the reason that people took this seriously is because on Friday, through the same chain, not Coin Telegraph, but Reuters and Benzinga, Benzinga reported something. Reuters picked it up, picked it up, and what that was, then it hit Bloomberg, was a grayscale. Uh, it was that the SEC was not appealing the grayscale decision. And that turned out to be true. So a big reason why people were immediately believing this was because Benzinga and Reuters in the same chain picked up the Cointelegraph story and it hit the Bloomberg terminal. Yeah, I think Cointelegraph is hurt uh, for the, at least for the short term. Um, I, in my opinion, I, um, they have a black mark right now. 
Yeah, but this this this, this is not the first time done this. Uh, fake news effect is is quite common, and like Benzinga and Reuters often, you know, are in a race to just like print stuff. And so what happens is everybody's in a race to get the news out because once the news happens and the Bitcoin starts moving, you know, they feel like they need to get news out, whether it's like properly vetted, and that's where the the how it just cascades. And this news is easily vetted. You just go to the SEC website. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, but, it's, if it's approved, you can check that. Uh, Scott, so maybe maybe I go with you. The same question, you and Ryan, is is the markets uh, over the last uh, forty eight hours? Do you have any thoughts on on what's behind um, the? Well, it seems the, it seems well, the rational response is that it was uh, you know being front running this news, and then the actual news itself, and then price landed effectively slightly back higher before that. Uh, before the news event happened. But I think, you know, it's, uh, if you look at the altcoin pairs versus Bitcoin, I would say that the market really isn't up. We're doing the old washing machine where liquidity goes back and forth. And I think that this, once again, even though we saw that big move to the upside, it wasn't really new money coming into the market. Seemingly altcoins dumped against Bitcoin. So we probably saw people FOMOing out of their altcoins and into Bitcoin. And that's where the liquidity was coming from. This is an extremely thin market. I don't think there's really much new liquidity at the moment. Uh, I think it would take, you know, a day or two of that kind of spot Bitcoin uh, approval, ETF approval news to get even any inkling of new money coming back in. So yeah, I think, uh, the new- look, I think the one thing I think the one thing that it gave us was that this is a dress rehearsal for like the actual um, uh, ETF and actually does get approved. So I think we learned a couple of things. The first thing we learned was we learned that um, it's not priced in. And that yesterday it would have gone way past thirty one thousand on a candle if the if if the news was actually real and it wasn't debunked. That's the first thing we learned. The second thing we learned is that actually BlackRock is much more bullish than we thought about crypto. I mean, you know, yesterday's events actually led to Larry Fink being interviewed on I think it was CNBC or Fox. In fact, I have it right here. I'll play it for you guys. We got a Bitcoin. So SEC had a. Hold on, why just, there is so much. Here we go. Yeah, well, it wasn't, here we go. So I mean, all day. I probably heard it an hour ago. So it wasn't. Yeah, well, it wasn't, we should put out Ellie Tourette, my producer, broke the story that it was not real. But it's like wishful thinking, <clears> isn't <throat> it? Isn't this what this is all about? Well, I can't talk about the specifics of anything. I think it's just an example of the pent up interest in crypto. And, I, and we're hearing from clients around the world about the need for crypto. I mean, when you think about. I think some of this rally is way beyond the rumor. I think the, the rally today is about a flight to quality with all the, you know, all the issues around Israeli war now, um, global terrorism. And I think there's more people running into a fight to quality, whether that is in treasuries, gold, or crypto, depending on how you think about it. And I believe crypto will play that type of role as a flight to quality. I mean, what would you have paid it Larry Fink to say that in an interview, but just the, the idea that Larry Fink is, is calling Bitcoin and crypt, crypto, not Bitcoin, a flight to quality. The idea that Larry Fink is saying there is a pent up demand within our clients um, to buy Bitcoin or to buy crypto. Sorry, crypto. Um, I mean, those, those comments must have a value, right? What is his motivation? What's his, his motivation? motivation? Is that he's soon, he's soon going to be selling a product and he knows it. He's soon going to be selling a product, and he needs to he needs to create demand for the product. Yeah, iShares is not going to be out of this business. It's like their core business for for BlackRock is 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 ETFs, and and I assume when the ETF is announced, it'll be an SEC announcement, and they'll probably approve multiple ETFs at the same time, as not to be accused of you know uh, preferential treatment. And if you saw just the action the other day, yesterday. If this, when this is approved, because I'm fully confident it will be approved at some point in the next 12 months, it gives you an idea of how much upside potential there is in a thin market once institutional money can buy a product. And we have tons of clients that want a Bitcoin-like product without actually owning the Bitcoin anymore. It's, it's ironic. It's like come full circle because owning the Bitcoins become so risky, people would actually rather buy an ETF. So the demand among institutional and retail clients is, you know, tens of maybe hundreds of billions. So, you know, this is going to be a massive moment for Bitcoin. And that's why I'm so bullish. Uh, yeah, I, I think 
to me, you look, I have a tendency to look a little bit deeper into how, what Larry Fink is doing. Because if I look at the fees that iShares is going to, you make some assumption on the AUM of an iShares Bitcoin ETF and then whatever fees they're going to be taking. And you just take whatever that annual fee number is divided by BlackRock's total revenue. And you're talking about some tiny fraction of 1% of their revenue. And he's out there shilling this thing that is uh, so polarizing, right? It's like the most polarizing financial instrument on planet Earth. And it's like, why has his message changed recently and so strongly that he's now willing to be this vocal of a proponent? It doesn't make sense to me that the answer to that question is for three one hundredths of one percent of revenue for BlackRock. So what's your answer, Travis? What I don't do you know. Think I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I I have a tendency to, to uh uh, kind of for the backdrop to that question to be that BlackRock is basically an, an unofficial arm of the government. And so when you hear Larry Fink talking about Bitcoin in a big public venue like that, that you should think about that as that being this sort of pseudo extension of the U.S. government. And and I, I think I still don't have an answer, but I think that's the right that's like the right way to frame it. Do you well, really think just, so? Do you, do you really think that he's, in, he's acting, he's speaking as an extension of the U.S. government in that yes. case? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd love it if yeah. I'd love it if he was, but but you know, on the one hand, you got the SEC saying we don't want Bitcoin. On the other hand, you got Laughing saying this is the best thing since sliced bread. I know. It's str- I, I agree. It's strange. But you it's know, strange. I think I think it's about timing. Uh, I think what Larry Fink is doing is he's priming the pump. He's uh, making things ready. Uh, but uh, what he didn't say is that he wants to see the bad news being flushed out. Uh, now, if 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 the, if the ETFs were to be approved, uh, I think the upside is going to be a lot more than what we saw the last 24 hours. Um, and uh, uh, this is going to be a massive, massive upside. However, what is the entry point? I'm not sure that the entry point is what we see today. It's possible that... Um, the entry point might be a bit lower. Um, so I, I really want, want us to see all the bad news being flushed out. That, that's really what's going to, uh, to be the, getting us to the flight to quality that he's talking about. And, and we, we shouldn't mistake his enthusiasm for the timing. The, the, the timing could, 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 could be the, the big swing here. The, it may have to do with politics as well, too. I mean, I'm not, I'm not familiar with Larry Fink's politics, but he goes on Fox News, right? So I think that tells you a pretty good amount and like just sort of directionally that he's willing to go on that particular news station. He's a huge and Democrat and became a DSG, by the way. Oh, yeah, he's a yeah, huge yes, Democrat. Literally, literally ESG created ESG for BlackRock. He did do all the ESG shit. That's a great point. Well, yeah, now he's even, well, I, I was going to say maybe this is like a political battle versus um, – you know, I mean, Gary Gensler and the SEC have become very politicized. I think we all know that. We all know that, right? So I, I, th- I was thinking maybe this is like uh, kind of trying to fight back from the other angle. But that's a great point about the ESG thing. I mean, he was—they were leading the charge on that. But guys, 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 guys uh, why are we looking into it? What, what if he just means? Go ahead. BlackRock Black cares about money. That's all they care about. Exactly. More exactly. Money. What, what, what if they just believe politics. in crypto? What if they believe how the the, the Larry politics is, is what will suit him for the day. Yeah. So, so, but what if he? What if what he said is just genuinely what he believes? What if they're starting to believe in the value of crypto and they're starting to see the use cases? They they like the the regulation that's kicking in, and you know the statements mean exactly what he's saying. There's nothing under it. There's nothing more to it. I agree. What we're trying to dig, you know, try to look into the political side and arm of the branch of the government, etc. They're starting to believe in crypto. We're getting more regulated. Use cases are starting to evolve, and it takes some time to understand the use cases. And we've seen the narrative change among others, not just Larry Fink. So what if just him, you know, along with the rest of the institutions, starting to see the value of crypto as a, as a in this case, as a store of value? Just to confirm what Scott said, I, I just Googled on, on his Wikipedia, Fink is a lifelong supporter of the Democratic Party. So just to, just to close that loop. Yeah, but but Travis, what about my point in terms of he just means what he says and there's nothing more to it, which is great for us. 
The starkness of the change of his messaging, that's the part that I think you can't ignore. Like it came too much out of nowhere. They file this ETF on the back of an absolute shitstorm in crypto in 2022. We're in the middle of the hangover from 2022. They file this ETF. Market starts going crazy. Next thing you know, Larry Fink is on TV talking talking this thing up. I don't it's just it feels too like But isn't but isn't it like be be greedy when everyone's fearful and vice versa? hundred percent for 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 three one hundredths of one percent of revenue. Like I, you know it's like for now, but that what if he sees it to be a much bigger piece of their revenue share? Also yeah. let's look at it, let's look at it as uh, let's look at it as creating a new asset class. So this is like just think about this as like you know an ETF for an asset class, and maybe the initial uh, initial part is is the X one hundred. But actually, think about it like after this is a crypto ETF, and then there's a Bitcoin and crypto ETF, and and we go you know, like to, to all the various things. So I think that it you know in the in the revenue now just seems too too narrow minded. Maybe I'm just thinking out loud. I, this is complete conjecture on my part. Maybe BlackRock is setting up to acquire Coinbase, and maybe the U.S. government. Would Why just, would they want to talk they, the price up? Why would they want to talk the price up? Why would well, you they're just the they're, they're just beginning to shift. I mean, they don't care what they they don't. They're not going to care that much about what they pay for it. It's tiny. It's an eighteen billion dollar company. No, um, come on. Every 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 company cares. Every company cares about about what they pay. I mean, specifically, you know, this is specific. You can't not care about what you pay for something. Well, yeah, right. I mean, I guess they would have they would have to start to move the messaging of BlackRock broadly before they stepped out and made an acquisition. This is complete conjecture on my part. I'm just, I, I'm, I'm, I think it, I think you have to think about Larry Fink's messaging from the context of him being an unofficial extension of the U.S. government. I, I, I don't think you can think about this any other way than from that backdrop. I, I think because of what Bitcoin as an asset represents. Well, no, I think you have to look at it. It's like BlackRock is, you know, the I, I just largest. want to jump in because I, I'm an institutional Bitcoin trader and BlackRock, Fidelity, Citadel, Virtu, Merrill, everybody is setting up to trade Bitcoin and an ETF. And there's going to be billions and billions of dollars made taking this industry away from a bunch of crooked kids and putting it in Wall Street. This is exactly, they were waiting for this moment for all the exchanges to explode and shut down, and they're going to take over the trading of Bitcoin. It's much bigger than the ETF because they trade and they make the spreads on all the trades and then they lend out against the trade. Like in my ETF, GK, our shareholders get to keep the money we make lending out our stocks to short sellers. And so this industry is way deeper for a company like BlackRock than just 0.3% of their revenues. This is about a massive growth opportunity that they can be a key cornerstone in building the institutional crypto business. And that's exactly what I'm working on for the RIA space. And I have been for years, despite now incredible challenges that we're going through. But I can tell you what they're doing, and they're doing this. It's going to be incredible. Alex? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, look, BlackRock is a financial products company. Their, their entire existence is to create financial products that they can sell to advisors and consumers and everyone. This is the exact same as like Microsoft putting, a, you know, knocking off a Slack clone with Microsoft Teams and putting it in there. Like they see there's a growth opportunity. People are going to want this thing. They're going to build the damn thing because the last thing that BlackRock does is wants is you thinking like, hey, you should actually go look at someone else's fleet of financial products. They want to be able to sell you everything they do. They see there's a growth opportunity. They're going to sell it to you. Patrick, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's simple. And uh, like Ross was saying, you know, he sees the same long-term trends that we see. BlackRock, everyone in the industry sees the same long-term trends that we do. And he sees an opportunity to make uh, a lot of money in an emerging new asset class that'll be worth trillions of dollars. And as far as how strongly he's talking about it, I mean, it's probably the highest profile product they're launching this year. You know, what is he supposed to do? Waffle back and forth and, you know, and, and, and not express a strong conviction in this new product they're launching. I, I think 
I think it's all about money. Yeah, I agree. Mikkel and William, what do you guys think? Yeah, yeah I, was, I, I don't think it, I, just, I don't think it's just about the fees. The BlackRock play into the ETFs is not just about the fees. It's about it's a signal uh, to let a lot of the uh, client wealth go into crypto. That that would open up the floodgates for many other things, uh, and it's a signal uh, could be helpful to the venture capital space as well. Uh, that radar. Uh, recently, uh, yesterday, announced that the uh, VC investments in crypto is down 30% from the previous quarter, only 600 million. So think of it as a uh, something that will be a domino effect. It's not just about the fees. Yeah, I just wanted to say quick, like, I don't think you can look too much into him changing his opinion quickly on this market. I mean, think of what how we all first looked at crypto when we got in, right? You look at it and you're like, what is this? This seems like some magic internet money, it's nothing, and then you learn about what it really is, and your opinion changes very quickly. If you listen to him talk in past interviews, he's been talking about tokenization actually for a bit now. It seems like he does have a firm grasp on how this technology can be used in an emerging financial system. To me, it just seems like he has smart people at his firm who are kind of easing him into this process of what these cryptocurrencies could be used for. And now as he goes on interviews, he's talking more bullish because he's really starting to wrap his head around how this technology could be used at his own firm. And then he's launching products on top of that that his customers can invest into. I just think we're watching kind of a change in the dynamics around this industry where before it was very much us uh, enthusiasts kind of looking into these products and their potential. But now we see the larger institutions starting to wrap their head around exactly how these products can materialize in the real world. Uh, I see there's a tweet by James Safat, by the way. Just uh, I think it, it sums it up pretty well. Sorry if my audio is not too good. Look, all I mean is if you came to me six months ago and told me that Larry Fink will do multiple national television appearances where he preaches about the virtues and benefits of Bitcoin and crypto more broadly, I probably would have laughed at you. He's saying six months ago, not two, three, four years ago. Mike McGlone, uh, how do you interpret Larry Fink's uh, comments that Rand played earlier? Well, thank you. I, I, I agree with James. That's a major paradigm shift, but it's clear what um, other commentators said. He's pushing a product. We, I used to be on that side of the business. Um, but the key thing I, I take away from listening to this is the key quote from Benjamin Disraeli, what we anticipate seldom occurs. We all know there will be ETFs, spot ETFs in the U.S. to track Bitcoin, eventually broad cryptos. It's probably going to happen within the next few months. We got the little buzz of that yesterday but it's the environment that's i'm very very much considered that's shifted from the whole history of cryptos and that's we just look at today the u.s 10 you note yield is a, it just reached a new 16 year high um, we have fed funds pushing more rate hikes in the system um, so i get the whole it's just the world's changed for bitcoin and you look at bitcoin it's the only crypto that's actually performing well i mean you look at compared to broad indices versus ethereum it's bitcoin versus everything else so you got to admit there's a lot priced into bitcoin opium here. Uh, i do want to also dig into one other thing is is uh, kathy woods i'm trying to fix my mic but kathy woods comments uh so she's saying something that kind of links to i can't remember which speaker was saying that we're hearing from clients around the world ross you were saying that we're hearing from clients around the world about the need for crypto and she talks about the rally today is way beyond the bitcoin stop spot etf rumor the rally today is about a, fight, a flight to quality. Crypto will play that type of role as a flight to quality. Larry Fink made those similar comments. Now, when Larry Fink, Ross, in your opinion, when you made the comments that Bitcoin is a flight to quality, was you referring crypto, uh, sorry? Uh, just referring I don't know. Mario, I'm not sure if you would say that. I actually did watch the interview. I didn't actually hear it, to be honest. I think that, that's a quote from Larry Fink, isn't it? I may, I may be wrong. Could be. I, I got it from the agenda. Um, what so did you I have, have, I, have a post, uh, I think it was last week that um, we had responded to uh, SE, the SEC's request for information around our, our uh, Bitcoin filing, uh, and we responded. And that's basically all we can say. Uh, I think many people think the fact that the Fed, uh, I mean the Fed, the SEC, um, chose to ask questions is a change of behavior. Uh, and therefore, I do think hopes are rising that a or a number of Bitcoin ETFs will be approved. Yeah, the, the, my understanding is the court now is going to issue so a she's saying, look, if the ETF is going to be approved, and she says their deadline is uh, by the 10th of Jan. So 
I've positioned it and said, look, you, got, you pretty much got 85 days to make your Bitcoin purchase before you know there's going to be a God candle because you started seeing what the God candle yesterday. So you got eight. But then, it's kind of like... The, the, like I want to ask what, hap- Ryan, what happens after the God candle my, as well. Do, does the market shift? Yeah, maybe... Yeah, maybe you want to just fix your mic. I think you just need to disconnect from the Bluetooth and reconnect. Okay, I'll again. try to do that. All right. Um, I mean, what happens afterwards? I think there's going to be a massive inflow to Bitcoin. We saw it yesterday, where the pump was capped at at, at a certain number, which was uh, thirty-one thousand, let's call it. Um, but after that, I, I mean, I guess institutional funds start flowing into a limited supply asset ETF, which is, I mean, again, I don't. You know, Michael Saylor always says that in a, in a I don't want to sound like Michael Saylor, um, but I mean, it, it's, it, I think it's the biggest, the easiest trade out there today because you know the, the institutional barriers are going to get removed. You know it's the only ETF with a truly, truly, truly limited supply. It's like, it's pretty much the biggest no-brainer out there. And yesterday you had a dress rehearsal and you could see in the dress rehearsal, uh, Bitcoin performed really well until we, until we lifted the curtain, so to speak. I don't know if Mario's back. No, I don't know. It is, oh my God, a judgment. It is hard for me to imagine price dumping too hard over the next. Like, like I mean, I think Bitcoin price should be relatively well bid over the over the next few months, unless they come out and do some really hard kibosh on the spot ETF. You know, both the GBTC conversions and all the other filings that are out there. Um, yeah, it's hard for me to imagine that. I mean, when you get some really bad event, you know, some Binance situation or something like that. But uh, but other than that, you would think it would stay stay pretty bad. So I have a I have a, a request to allow the Larry Fink parody account onto the no, onto the stage. Uh, 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 oh, I mean, I'm so I'm so, <laughs> I'm so tempted to bring him up here. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember when there was the, the Elon Musk? Do you remember the when the Elon Musk uh, parody account? Uh, what, what he's, he's, he's got he's a he's got a big following. He's got like over I think he's getting close to a million followers. Um, I've, I've had I've brought parody accounts on before by accident because they put the same profile photo. The parody, the Elon Musk parody one, is like a clear parody, but there's others that you know you can't tell. So look at the profile photo. Um, but I wanted to go to um to George. I'm not sure if my mic is better. Like I know he's got a few comments, and I think Benjamin's requesting as well. Ran. But George, I'll let you comment on what's been said so far. But the question I was asking Ran earlier is when we see that God candle, especially after we saw yesterday, what happens to the crypto market once the ETF, if and once the ETF gets approved, in your opinion? Well, the uh, if let, let's just, I, I sort of flip it upside down. I would say that um, a, a black, you know, a BlackRock ETF is just, uh, just a. Uh, George, uh, yeah, you got to, I, I thought my mic was bad. You're significantly worse. <laughs> well, I I I'll, I'll shout out a bit. Right after. Um, I, like, yeah, yeah, I'll, this, I'll, I think this room is more. You. It's actually, yeah, it's actually the quality. It's, it's, it's actually the quality of the mic. It's, it's, it's uh, I don't know if you can maybe just change mics or go into AirPods or something. Yeah, it's glitching as well. I did bring up Benjamin though. Uh, Benjamin, uh, I'm not sure if you guys had him on stage yesterday. Benjamin, I'd love to get your thoughts on the, the, the market response to the fake news yesterday and what that means if and when the ETF gets approved. Yeah, I mean, I guess so, so. My view here is is that the there's not really a lot of new money coming into the space, and all the all these pumps that we're seeing by Bitcoin, it, it's just people converting their alts to Bitcoin. Um, I mean, look at alt Bitcoin pairs. Look, the Ethereum Bitcoin ratio is is literally collapsing right now, and it's taking the altcoin market with it. And the issue is that you know a lot of people get very bullish on Bitcoin around this time before the halving and last cycle. And the cycle before that, we, we eventually saw Bitcoin drop 50% before the halving. It's the secondary scare. It tends to occur. It tends to occur before the halving. And I think the reason that it occurs is because, you know, people, you know, people's just sort of, they, they, they see all these great news headlines like Spide ETF. They, they, you know, they think about the halving and everyone just starts focusing on Bitcoin. So the liquidity leaves the altcoin market. It goes to Bitcoin and it leads to these rallies. But at some point, and I think that point is coming relatively soon, there's no liquidity left in the altcoin market. And so that when Bitcoin goes into a risk-off environment, there's no longer a bid for it. And then it crushes the altcoin market and, and Bitcoin goes down a lot. And then after all that happens, that's normally when the real bull market begins. And that's likely not going to occur until, until the Fed pivots and until QE returns. I mean, I, I don't think we should assume that 
that the that the altcoin market and the cryptocurrency asset class is immune to monetary policy. So yes, it's a great narrative, the spot ETF, but as long as we are in in QT, as long as we are in higher interest rates, I don't I don't see it making you know having a, a sustained uh, a longer lasting impact. I think it'll long term it'll it'll lead to to liquidity coming coming into Bitcoin, but for now I think it's still mostly people converting their alts to Bitcoin. So Ben, I want to ask quick. I want to ask. I want to ask a quick question around um, the timing between now to to the halving. So, in order to mine, so most of the miners, most of the mining companies, or most of the big mining companies, or a lot of big mining companies are listed on the stock exchange. Obviously, as you know, the last thing that they can afford to do is come out with fifty percent of their earnings when the halving happens, and all of a sudden, for the same amount of mining power, they're mining fifty percent of the Bitcoin. I'm going very simplistically here. Do you think that what, part of this of the dump between now and the halving is them selling all their bitcoins so that they can invest in new miners so they can put more more miners on online? Yeah, it, it could have something to do with that. I, I think the market is really cruel, um, and I, I think what it you know what people sort of learn in the in the pre halving year is that these altcoins just bleed back to Bitcoin, and so. You know, the, the all these people, all the all these investors, sort of finally get on the bandwagon because they think that Bitcoin can do no wrong, and that it'll only ever go up. And so, after everyone gets that memo and all the liquidity from alts has been drained, that's when then Bitcoin drops. And then, you know, everyone who thought that you know Bitcoin was the relatively safe haven, it, it's you know even the king, even the king will bend the knee in the end. So, I, I mean, I think you're right. Like, I think that probably has something to do with it. But I think the bigger issue here, I mean, I think it all comes back to just liquidity and liquidity is leaving. Look at look at yields today. You know, that's the reason I mean, these are the reasons why these risk assets are doing so poorly. I mean, this is not an environment that crypto is is that familiar with. Um, and I, I think it all goes back to liquidity. But I, I do agree that there are probably some other nuances related to, you know, to selling pressure from the miners and, and other, other things like that. And, uh, Benjamin, yeah, I've got a question for you, Benjamin. You're talking about the liquidity entering the space, especially with the current QT environment. You don't think an approval of a spot ETF would bring that liquidity in? I mean, look, it might bring some liquidity in, but there's probably also a lot of people that would sell into that as well. It might just create a lot of supply. Um, I, I, I mean, a lot of, I mean, look what happened with, with, with the Ethereum futures just a few weeks ago. That was being hyped beyond belief, and there was basically no demand for it. Uh, and ever since then, Ethereum has just been falling, and the Ethereum Bitcoin valuation has been collapsing. You, I mean, these, these things, there's a lot of people, the, the, I have to imagine that a lot of the people that want exposure to Bitcoin right now probably already have some type of exposure. That doesn't mean that, that everyone does. I, I just don't think it's going to to save the day. Um, there, there, think, think about like every major <laughs> cycle top when we have a, like a, a big thing launch. It, it almost always ends up being a local top for, for at least a little while. It happened last cycle. It happened the cycle before that. I, I don't really think it would be any different. I mean, I know you said that you think that everyone who wants exposure to Bitcoin has exposure to Bitcoin, but if you're a big pension fund, a big institution, you want exposure to Bitcoin, how do you get it? Well, you go out and buy the Bitcoin futures ETF when you know that it underperforms spot. And Ross, to add to it as well, Benjamin, Ross was just saying that he's got a lot of clients. We've had others say this on the panel. A lot of clients that want exposure to Bitcoin, they just don't have a way to get get right. So, it, like it, it, but it it could lead to some short term demand. But after all that demand comes in, we still need to go back to QE. We still we need to go back to lower interest rates. Like. It's not going to change the whole macro environment. Like if the S and P sells off, you know, back to the lows, we we can't expect Bitcoin to hold up just because there's a spot ETF launch. And by the way, considering what happened yesterday, you get one piece of fake news that comes out, the market moves seven percent. That's not a point in 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 Bitcoin's favor. I mean, I hope the spot ETF gets approved because I'd like for us to talk about something else. But I mean that that is I mean it just sort of it just sort of makes the SEC's case easier that there's a lot of fraud and manipulation. But isn't this manipulation isn't this manipulation in any market? Like I mean, is this not the same as 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 I mean, you know, Scott mentioned it earlier, things like GameStop, Bed Bath and Beyond. You know, this is not this is not unique to crypto. Of course not. No, I mean it's in every market. I, I'm not. I, I think the spot ETF should be approved. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like I think it should be approved. I I think it's silly that we've had to wait this long. I just think that 
you know, we know what the SEC's agenda has been and will likely continue to be. So this is just something that will probably make them take another look. You know, you get one you get one tweet out and the market moves seven percent and then it retraces after that. Um, it's not it just I, I feel like what it does is everything that happened yesterday, just it, it puts the cryptocurrency asset class in a bad light. Like it makes it look very immature. Um, and and we, 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 I am bullish on it long term, but we, we have a long way to go. And I, I don't really see. I mean, look, the total market cap of crypto let has me been ask you, let me for ask over you, a year. Let me ask you a question. I know, I know that we shouldn't um, push fake news. I know that fake news is a very bad narrative and, and, and whatever else. But let's just, I'm debating how angry and frustrated I should be at Cointelegraph for what happened yesterday. On the one hand, they made our industry look like fools. On the other hand, you know, the SEC is definitely watching this, et cetera. But number one, we've got a pump in Bitcoin, which is sustained. Bitcoin is still trading at 28,500 because I think that what happened was people looked at this pump and said, hold on a second. It's inevitable. We are going to be approved. It's just a matter of when. There's a maximum of 85 days before the final deadline for, uh, for Ox ETF. Therefore, I better start loading up in the position now. Two, we got Larry Fink saying amazing, amazing, amazing comments about, about Bitcoin um, and crypto, how he views Bitcoin and crypto. I mean, you ask me, I don't know, maybe from a, from a, a positives versus negatives, not the, not the worst trade-off in the world to sacrifice um, uh, uh, Telegraph to get this kind of result. Um, before before you answer, Benjamin Ryan, I just want to uh, you know I, 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 I think we should cut uh, Coin Telegraph some slack. I remember it, that happens all the time in the traditional financial space. Like this is journalism one on one. They get stories wrong all the time. Remember the story about Financial Times during the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank. Very sensitive time. They put out a piece that this other bank can't remember the name was also facing um, a potential bankruptcy. And then it turns out to be false news and they're being sued, etc. I think it was the Financial Times. I could be wrong. Like this happens in TradFi all the time. So I just want to, I want to cut them some slack. I think the mistake is obviously unacceptable and I'm sure they've learned from it. The way that they've explained it, so getting news from Telegram group and tweeting it is a bit odd. Um, but, you know, I know it's not your question, but I uh, just want to kind of uh, give them the benefit of the doubt. And I don't think their credibility should be hit that hard after one mistake, although it is a serious mistake. But to go ahead, Ryan. I mean, there were, I, I remind you, this is not their first mistake. I'll remind you that they made another mistake. They broke a story about Elon Musk, SpaceX, selling $337 million worth of, of Bitcoin. Do you remember that? Do you remember that story, which, uh, which was also... I, yeah, I, I, actually, you put it in the agenda. I saw it there, but I, I forgot it. I, I didn't know they broke that story. I remember the story because we covered it. Uh, but I didn't know they're the ones that broke that story. So, yeah, that's, that's not a good look. Yeah, you can you can actually buy a Coin Telegraph article, um, which is it's an NFT of the story, um, in in their own digital collectibles. Yeah, so I think Benjamin uh, Ryan's question is to you regarding the the price that the market post finding out the story was false. Yeah, well, I mean, but I mean, look at it. I mean, a lot of that move was retraced, not all of it, but the the, the reason that it went up. I mean, look, look at total market cap. Total market cap has basically been unchanged since January. This is, again, this is not new money. It's, it, look at the Bitcoin dominance. It's over 52%. All of this move by Bitcoin is just coming from all of the people here, right, in, the, in crypto, the, 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 the few people that are left. It's just coming from people converting their alts to Bitcoin. It's not new money. And, and that's the issue is that until we get new money coming in, it likely is not going to lead us, you know, to, you know, to new highs. We have to get new money coming in. And this, this, this phase of the market cycle is, um, it, it, it usually ends up being the most brutal. Uh, I know it might not seem like that right now because Bitcoin is up, but look at all these altcoins. They've, they've broken down on their Bitcoin support levels. The, if, if Bitcoin as so as much sneezes down $2,000, the altcoin market is going to get decimated. Um, and you know, I, I, I've seen these market conditions many times. I, I get why people are excited about, about the spot ETF, but I, I can't get past the idea that this is not new money. And, and the only reason Bitcoin's going up is because people are converting their alts to Bitcoin. I'm, I'm a hundred percent with Benjamin on that. And I think the other thing is too, you can look at, there are some other coins that are more correlated to Bitcoin or in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Uh, along those lines, and it's the same deal. They're, the closer the associations to Bitcoin right now, the better the performance has been over the last six months. 
they, they tend to move much more in line with Bitcoin. And I think that just reflects the movement from a lot of the other alts into Bitcoin. Cool. Fair enough. I don't have anything to add on. Yeah. Let's talk about the FTX testimony. And, and specifically, I mean, we had Nishad Singh yesterday on, uh, on, the, on the witness stand. Um, pretty damning evidence. But I think later on in the evening, there was, I think it's a proposal for clawbacks. Travis, you've got some feedback around this. Is it a proposal for clawbacks? Is it actually, is it actually a settlement offer? What, how real is the, the possibility of, of clawbacks here? Yeah, so this was a settlement basically between the UCC, the ad hoc, and the debtors on what to do with customer clawbacks, which they first alluded to back in late August. And there was a slide deck that had a couple slides talking about customer clawbacks, uh, I think, in the first part of September. And so there's been a bunch of back and forth behind the scenes. And uh, this announcement last night was basically the resolution of that back and forth behind the scenes. And it's a pre- it's a pretty good outcome. It's I mean, I think the TLDR is the nine day window from petition filings, so basically starting at November 2nd. You look at your net withdrawals. Uh, so kind of withdrawals net of deposits in the nine day window before the bankruptcy if uh, you withdrew less than 250 grand, then you're good to go. You're free and clear. You're not going to get clawed back at all. If you were a net withdrawer of over 250 grand, then uh, they are going to basically offer you a 15% haircut um, to your claim amount relative to how much you withdrew, how much of a net withdrawal you were basically. So sort of settling your net what if withdrawal I don't take, amount at, at 50. What if I don't take the settlement? What if, if I was then, over 250 grand and I don't take the settlement? What happens? That's right. Then, then you go and get in a legal fight with the debtors. So you, you basically, you know, get into a legal battle where you go, this is why you shouldn't be able to claw anything back from me. And they'll do that on a case by case basis. And that, and that'll be a big part of what, you know, the, the litigation aspect of the FTX bankruptcy will be doing, you know, for the next probably couple of years, I would guess, or certainly all of next year. Yeah. It's fine. What if I, what if I, it it is one more thing. It is also uh, worth mentioning that they did kind of specifically carve out that like insiders, like people that they deem or entities that they deem to have an insider type of relationship with FTX or Alameda, uh, you know, may not be, may not be subject to, um, may not be subject to uh, receiving this settlement offer. So they still open up the, the uh, you know, leave the door open for folks, you know, say like a jump trading, for example, that got however much money they got off, you know, they're not going to get this 15% settlement. So probably. What do you, what do you think, what, what do you think the actual risk is? Like a lot of our viewers aren't sitting in the United States. Do you reckon if I'm a viewer and I'm sitting in Portugal or Afghanistan, or, I mean, do you really think they're going to come and sue me for 15% of $250,000? Let's talk about the the practicality of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I really don't want to give people advice on that. I mean, it is going to be jurisdiction based. I mean, if you're if you're sitting in a country outside of the United States, I would just do a little Googling around to try and understand how the long arm of the U.S. law interacts with your particular jurisdiction. I mean, that's you Google around for a little bit. You could probably get a sense of, you know, can U.S. bankruptcies reach into country X, Y, Z. If you're in China. Mm they can't get you. If you're in Russia, they're not going to get, you know, it's like there's some places where it's just not going to happen, but it's going to, you know, it's going to be on a case by case basis. Uh, the other thing that's really worth mentioning about this is that the, the way and this is, again, I'm not a lawyer and this is the first bankruptcy I've ever been involved in in my life. I have been very focused on it because we have a, a huge claim in this deal, but um, the 15% settlement offer implies an expected total recovery of 85 plus percent that's they kind of arrive at that 15 percent number because they think the overall recovery is going to be kind of 85 cents plus and that's the first time we've seen debtors and that that would be a number that was blessed by both the ucc and the ad hoc and then put out by the debtors and this is the first time we've seen a number like that implicitly or explicitly given by the debtors and that's a very big number it's great news that's that's a very i mean that's just great news overall for creditors what are you what what are you expecting to get back you're saying you're very close to five you've got a big claim what are you expecting to get back if you were to give me 
let's talk about what and when. So how much are you expecting yeah. to get back? You've had, you've had some great feedback around Anthropic. You've had some great token performances. You've got, you know, layer zero case, which is, I think, uh, a work in progress. What, what are you, what, what are you like thinking you're going to get back? Yeah. So we're probably going to sell our claim. We're probably going to sell it, you know, maybe at the end of this year, but more likely probably sometime in Q1. I would be kind of surprised if we're still in the claim by 331.24. And my guess is we're going to get, we have a big claim. We have a $65 million claim. It's 18th largest creditor in the bankruptcy. And I would, and because it's big, you get higher pricing for big ones. Um, and my guess is, you know, at this point, I think we're going to get 55, 60, you know, maybe even 65 cents. Yeah. In that, why, in that why, time why would you wait? Why wouldn't you wait and get 90% in Q2? of 2024 as uh, it was implied yesterday in the announcement. No, that, see that that wording was confused. That that 90 it's the 90% is that they are going to try and distribute. So uh, uh, they they didn't word that very well. A lot of people have been confused by that. The 90% number was when you look at customer versus non-customer claims that customers are going to get 90% of the quote unquote distributable value. Um, if the plan is approved in Q2 of 24, it was that, that was confusing language. Actually, we, 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 we still don't know. We, we, we are expecting an initial distribution in Q2 of 24, but they have not put out an estimate of what that is going to be. Um, there, there are other people that are kind of, you know, you can kind of, put together an Excel spreadsheet and kind of guess what that number is going to be. And I think at the end of the day, you know, a big part of it is just opportunity cost. You're going to take the money back and presumably, you know, we're going to continue running our fund and deploying into a strategy that, you know, is going to outperform holding Bitcoin or at least has historically. And if you think Bitcoin's going to have a pretty good year next year, then you kind of want to get it. You know, it's like you start playing for like from 55 cents to 60 cents. If you maybe hold for another quarter, and you're like, okay, well, that's like, you know, whatever that is, a 12% bump or something like that. And then, uh, or no, uh, a little less than a 10% bump. And then you weigh that versus like, what do you think you can go get in the market as an opportunity cost? So I think that's, so, Trav, that's a pretty critical factor. Super interesting. Because the last time we spoke, one of the last times we spoke here, um, you were contemplating the future of the fund. Yeah, I remember you, like you said, look, we, we don't know what the future of the fund holds. So you mentioned that your claim is 60 million. So quickly, just uh, that 60 million was out of a total fund NAV of how much? And then maybe just work, walk us through what you guys are planning on doing with the fund. Yeah, I mean, I got to be, I really cannot talk about fund details in a, in a, in a setting like this for, for regulatory reasons. Um, I mean, just, just simplistically, you know, everything's still up in the air. You know, we think we got a good path to, to continuing to operate Ikigai. Um, but I, 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 you know, this, this is just not the right venue to be talking about that kind of thing. Okay. And, uh, and what, the, I mean, can you say what the total NAV of the fund will win? Nah, when, that's, when? One of the, that's one of the things regulators really hate. We, I literally just went through an entire SEC exam and it was a huge pain in the ass. It went fine, but it was a huge pain in the ass. So I got to mm. be really, really careful about talking about fun stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, anybody else got any opinions about this clawback and how real it is? I know there's a lot of people who read this and are panicking about the clawback. So maybe you, anybody else got any any insight into it? I see. All right, Mario, I think uh, pretty much on my side, that's uh, anything else on your side, sir? I'd like to put, one, I, uh, as long as Go we're ahead, talking Josh. about FTX, I'd like to put one thing to the group. What is the over-under right now on how long Sam's going to go to jail. It's either life or two lives oh, wow. or three lives or four lives. I'm listening. <laughs> I, I, I'm following the testimony oh. very closely and I'm not an expert in, in, in the world in, in, in American legal, but I can tell you that it doesn't look very good for him. Caroline's testimony, Nishad's testimony, Holy shit! I mean, what, what guys, are, Ryan? I've been, I've been, a, I've been away for a week. What are the highlights from the testimony, especially Caroline's? Whew, you got to read it, dude. <laughs> it's worth it. It's yeah, worth it's, the time. Bitmex. I, I think Bitmex Research has been doing probably the best summary. They haven't been doing the live tweets. Inner City Press is doing the live tweets. 
but BitMEX research at the end of the day is like, I think maybe they're getting a transcript and then summarizing directly maybe from a transcript, but it's worth reading, dude. It's just, it's can too... You, can you send me the summary? Yeah, can you send me the summary, Travis? I'll check it out Yeah, today. Yeah, I'll send it. What was, yeah, let me give you a few, let me give you a few teasers. So this Conference is Nishad's... Caroline's was, I'd say, probably the most brutal. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'd probably set the over-under at... 25 30 years probably 25 ish probably i don't know if other food i'm just curious if anybody else is paying you would double it huh yeah i'd put the over under the judge fucking hates this kid he does hate it the judge hates his ass it's facts hates hates his his ass ass. (laughs) and 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 one of the things i keep coming back to is the judge is making it easy on the prosecutors but the prosecutors are doing a great job being just super friggin methodical with all these witnesses and just being like so you did crimes with him right Please describe exactly the crime simply, and they're going. Yeah, let me. Yeah, that. let me. Let me read you this. Let me read you this. It's for fun. What is your job at FTX? I was head of engineering. Did you commit any financial crimes at FTX? Yes. What crimes did you commit while you were working at the company? I defrauded customers, investors. I participated in money laundering, and I violated campaign finance laws. Did you commit those crimes on your own or with others? With others, who? SBF, Gary Wang, Caroline Anderson, and Ryan Salami. The, okay, then a couple of other things. So they go into FTX sponsorship deal. How much did the Miami Heat Arena sponsorship cost? Summing the first three numerical value column, it's $205 million. What does MLB stand for? In Nishad's testimony, I, I read the whole testimony yesterday. It was the craziest thing I've ever read in my life. Like, I just can't see, <laughs> I can't see how he gets out of this one. And the thing is that his his story corroborates with Caroline's story, and 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 yeah, yeah, and they're, they're both doing this like they're, they're both they're all kind of doing this thing of like, well, I wasn't super thrilled or happy with the idea of this, and they they're admitting responsibility while still being like, look, I didn't love it, but like Sam told me to and said it was totally fine and really wanted to do it, and so I, you know, went ahead and did it, and like Sam's lawyers are just freaking terrible at their job they're just doing nothing to undermine thought, these witnesses i know i completely agree yeah i mean again i'm not like this is not my area of expertise but i feel like i mean he's got like the best defense attorneys in the world right this is this is like the the people that represented just lane maxwell and shit like that and it's like i feel like he's getting killed like i don't know but hold, i mean i, I mean maybe we'll get grand finale or something the judge is, the judge it. is not having it the judge yeah. and and the, and the judge is the one that decides sentencing the jury the and, jury and decides I think that's the, key he's, the he's judge definitely, puts the number on it exactly yeah. he's definitely getting convicted on most of these counts at least and yes and then it's just in the judge's hands and i don't think this when, judge when is do doing we, easy when do we get alex when do we get the ruling um i think the i think the um prosecution originally was expecting to ra- is expected to wrap this week. I think they only have one or two more witnesses, including a law enforcement agent. And then, you know, it, it goes over to the defense and no one's really sure how long they're going to take. I think the original estimate was a six to eight week trial. And so we're about, I think they, I, I think, I think Kaplan said four to six okay, originally, yeah. and I think it's going a little slow. So it's probably six, seven ish. Yes. And so then I don't know what three. the length of time is. Does anybody know what the length of time is between a verdict and a sentencing? Um, it, it all I, heard, I heard sentencing can either be late this year. Yeah, I think yeah. it's either very late this year or beginning of next my, year. But it's, I mean, we're talking before before the halving. Let's put that. Yeah, my, my guess is the judge. <laughs> my guess is the judge goes through all the steps and gets a probation report. And like, I, I don't think the judge is going to shortcut anything here and leave. Uh, you know, any room for like appeals or being overturned on something like that. So, you know, yeah. I think Sam, you know, assuming he's convicted, obviously he's already in custody because of everything that happened. So it's not like he's going to be let out um, in between sentencing and now he'll be remanded. Um, and I would assume it'll be, yeah, anywhere from two to four months. Uh, you know, they'll do the probations report. They'll go go through it all and yeah like i said i think the judge the, drops the book on him my one of my best parts one of my best parts was the letter that his counsel sent to the judge yes. asking for for the 20 milligram adderall slow release because his adderall keeps running because you know that's like adderall during trial so his adderall keeps running on him so they want higher dosage but they also want the slow release so, you know, the, so the, the normal crazy, release is not, i mean the crazy thing it's is so they, crazy they're, they're gonna put him on the stand and like 
on some hands, I know people who are really excited for this. And I'm like, I actually think him on the stand is going to be terrible. Like, again, he doesn't have good Are we allowed to go and, Is anybody allowed to go and listen? Is anybody allowed? I mean, yeah, can I fast you? It's 100% public. You, you show up that day. Uh, you, you show up as, you know, there's obviously a line for it. You go through security. Uh, but U.S. criminal court proceedings are all 100% open. So I can fly. Surely, just, I mean, I, I, it might be worth flying just to get his testimony. I mean, every you're gonna surely there there's early. a capacity issue because yes. I know there's an overflow room and there can't be like infinite overflow room. No, so I would guess as, that as like, I said, you have to be like first in line. Yeah, yeah. There's an overflow right, room. You right, have to right. Do it. But yeah. what I mean is, it's not like you have to ask permission where there's any kind of restriction in that way. There is a capacity. There's reserved space, obviously, for like. Uh, you know, his family and for members of the press, but there is a public gallery. And as long as you are sort of in line early enough or front of the line, go you in, get in. Ryan, Ryan, go, go in as a member of the press run. Ryan's yeah, going yeah, to camp out with a tent in front of the courthouse and do a live crypto town hall from his tent the night before. I mean, hold on. When, I, I guess that if people could, could have been recording, they would have been recording. So I guess the judges said no recording. Right? Uh, correct. U.S. federal courts do not allow for audio or video recording. Um, that's why you get the transcripts. And that's also why like the courtroom sketches are still a thing because you're not allowed to take photos. I mean, that, that might be, this might be a, a very, um, I don't know, maybe a very naive question, but you think, I mean, people are in there with their phones, right? Surely like hundreds of people are in there with their phones, no? Uh, yes. Yes. Maybe not. I believe, sorry. Maybe no, not, not in the actual court. Yeah. So actually, so having, having testified in federal court before, um, you actually have your electronic devices taken from you. Um, so the exception to that, but then how are they sending? So, right, so mem members of the press, members of the press in the overflow rooms, that's uh, are able to do it. And so, and so, I mean, you know, are there not situations where a member of the press accidentally, very accidentally, leaves his voice notes on? So, are you are you encouraging right? Are you encouraging crime in our reputable space? No, I'm just trying to find out what happens. I'm trying accidental, to find out what happens in the case of, of, of accidents. You know? uh, it's, I, mean, it's, I, I believe you can be held in criminal contempt and jailed by the judge for that. And and I will not be not testifying in that. Not if worth you're, it, you're, not, you're not worth it. <laughs> not worth it. But so, so tempting, but not worth it. <laughs> um, right, man, I think I think it was a good show. Um, and we'll we'll, we'll see everyone again tomorrow. Yeah, Ryan? Anything else? Yeah, if I, uh, tomorrow hopefully you got a better mic, uh, a better mic, Mario. Uh, yeah, can you tweet? Can you tweet that the Bitcoin ETF is approved so we have another story for tomorrow? Uh, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. And I'll get, I'll get one oh, of my okay. interns. To, I'll get one of my interns. To <laughs> yeah. have a nice, I'll send it. I'll send it. I'll send it on WhatsApp. I'll send it in the WhatsApp group for us. Uh, All bye, right, bye, see bye. you guys tomorrow. Ciao, guys.